you are listening to an episode of Back Row Movie News. The podcast name and scope has changed. It is now the Broken Record Podcast, uh, but you can still enjoy the past episodes of Back Row Movie News on this feed. Make sure you follow uh, the Broken Record Podcast or Podcast Broken Record. Depends on what social media site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for updates on future episodes. How are you, dude? I'm fucking great. I am. All right. All right, I'm just going to do it. I don't care what it sounds like. What's going on, you guys? Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Back Row Movie News. It's another solo episode for this guy. Two thumbs. It's titled Aliens Evolution. I'm taking you through each movie in the franchise so far for a quick look at how the alien xenomorph has evolved thematically and in its design. And that's right here on Back Row Movie News. Welcome to the Best Seat in House, everybody. I'm Chase Coupo. Please consider subscribing to that YouTube channel and rating us on iTunes or Facebook. Anything you do helps us out a lot. Thank you so much. Uh, let's kick it off with the original movie, Alien. The first on-screen appearance of the Xenomorph, most commonly regarded as the superior version. I agree. I think that it is the pinnacle of Xenomorph design. It was designed by H.R. Giger based off his own piece, Necronom 4. Giger came to work on the film through writer Dan O'Bannon. O'Bannon was doing some work on an adaptation of Dune. Giger was part of that design team, mainly working on environments and sets. That film ended up falling through, but O'Bannon showed Ridley Scott some of Giger's work, with Necronom 4 being his pick to be the creature in the film, and Scott approved. Giger was hired to design the creature, which ended up being pretty different from the work it was based on, but it was his choice and it worked. He took away the eyes, he put a translucent dome over the skull, he planned the whole body to be clear when born, evolved to white, and then to black when it was full adult, and he added elongated tubes coming out of the back, those were supposedly for balance. He also did most of the work on the space jockey, derelict, egg chamber, face hugger, and overmorphs, uh, the eggs. The nature of its life cycle in the film set it up as a rapist and elite predator. It really only existed to further its species, and the way it did that was absolutely disturbing. The writers, Giger, and Scott created something that was supposed to show how deep and dark space and life really is. We should be afraid of the dark because... Because... We should be afraid of... <laughs> oh, man. Right. <laughs> I am, alright. Alright, I'm just going to do it. I don't care what it sounds like. We should be afraid of the dark because these creatures are out there. They're so alien and different, but that bipedal nature, the uh, the skull that you can see, and other elements, it make it seem like a very distorted mirror image of human being. It was meant to poke down at a deep down fear of men in the audience. Most rape and sexual violence in films is a statement about or having to do with women, but Alien flipped that on its head. Uh, Dan O'Bannon said that that was part of his purpose in the story. Really, the story and meaning behind the creature in this first movie is very, very dark. It's interesting to think about how a horror movie franchise sometimes is. One like this, where the first film that kicked it off isn't about faith or finding God or any religion like that. It was just about this scary creature hunting people down to violate, kill, and use them to create more creatures. It's heavy stuff. Now, under the greatest sequel of the franchise, and maybe of all time, Aliens. 
Enter James Cameron. There was clamor for a sequel to Alien, but it took a while to come together. David Geiler and Walter Hill ended up settling on James Cameron as director. Cameron presented Sigourney Weaver with a script that heavily focused on her psyche and development as a character following the events of the first movie. Cameron's Aliens continued and expanded on themes of parenthood, his angle mainly being the mother-daughter connection. Feminism perceived right-wing political ideals on war, although it seems like he was damning those political ideals, and more. His movie upped the xenomorph action. The film is a sci-fi action movie with elements of horror, as opposed to the sci-fi horror fest that was Alien. The story called for hordes of xenos to swarm a group of people when they attacked. These ideas issued by placing a single... Hold on a minute. Okay. <laughs> Everybody wins. These ideas meant that filming was going to be even harder. The first movie avoided these issues by placing a single xenomorph on a ship with a limited number of people. The horror element was also helped because the less we see the monster, the more frightening it can be. The crew could hide it in the shadows most of the time. The sequels couldn't do that, so they had to change the design of the creatures. In any franchise, really, from film to film it changes. But during tests, they decided to remove the dome from the skull for aliens. They wanted to have the dome, they planned on keeping that design the same, but they were too fragile and kept breaking, eating up time and money. Instead of making it an exposed skull, they just made the top of the head the same chitinous material as the uh, rest of the creature. The biggest change Cameron made was to add a queen to the life cycle. The first film established that an ovomorph holds a facehugger that impregnates a host, then comes a chestburster that evolves into a xenomorph. A deleted scene made it clear, this is in the first movie, that the creature can use host to create an egg, it's called egg morphing. Cameron said fuck that and chose to introduce a queen. For the sake of his themes and ideas, the action sequences, and to up the scale from the previous film. Cameron seemed to be referencing the Vietnam War in the film, the Xenomorphs being the Viet Cong, and the Colonial Marines being American forces. They were treated, uh, the, the Xenomorphs, not the Marines, they were treated more like insects and a disposable force with endless waves to take on the protagonists. The Queen was an interesting mirror to Ripley in the story, as well as being similar to a final boss in a video game. I think that Cameron changed the alien for the worse. I didn't like the new design. I liked the queen, but it also tramples the alien as it was shown in the first movie. And that's about it. It's really a great movie. It's one of the best sequels ever made for sure. Now on to one of the most disappointing sequels made ever. Alien 3. The well-documented issues of Alien 3 did impact the creature's design and meaning. It was the most interesting of all the films. This one did have some influence from H.R. Gear, but the production famously rejected almost all of his ideas. It was something that upset him because he wanted to help on this one, but the turbulence of the production led to him being left hanging. The Xenomorph was once again a lone wolf, as the movie was supposed to be a horror sci-fi again, just like the original. The Xenomorph was designed to be more animalistic, less insectoid. It also... oh, excuse me. Less insectoid, even. As I said in my episode, The Alien Legacy, Imprisoned by a Legacy, it's on the channel. It's right there, you can't miss it. The effects work was horrible. The production used a new technique to film and insert the xenomorph insert. The production used a new technique to film and insert the xenomorph into scenes, which is cool. A plus for creativity, but it looks like something no one has ever done before. The shots and scenes when Tom Woodruff Jr. was donned the costume, they were able to get some cool shots, but he iced it looked like a guy in a suit. Plus, when you compare that to the effects shots, it soils the atmosphere. In the original theatrical release, the Xenomorph burst from a very unfortunate doggy. It was coined the Bambi Burster due to the nature of its movement. In the now more accepted assembly cut, it bursts from an ox. It has more of a brown, yellow, or just earthy tone to it. 
Xenomorph was hunting and killing like the Xeno in the original movie. This one was sewn to straight up kill more people on screen. It didn't leave any room for egg morphing. It ends up, uh, it ends up making sense because we find out that Ripley is the host for a queen. The Xenomorph knows that, and it actually refuses to harm or kill her until she actively, until she is actively about to kill it during the final battle of the movie. Based on the interactions with the prisoner Gallic and Ripley's position as a Christ-like figure in the narrative, the Xenomorph is seemingly presented as the devil in this one. This was the first movie in the series to really dive into religious themes and imagery and the such. The Xenomorph was treated well and it took on a cool new meaning in this chapter. And now to the most off-key film in the franchise. I fucking heard you say the devil over there. <laughs> Alien Resurrection. This is really where the Xenomorph is probably soiled. I mean, I love Alien Resurrection. I love it as an alien movie and I think it is... I think it's... I gotta say that again. I love it as an alien movie... I love it as an alien movie, and I think it's shat on a tiny bit too much. It definitely isn't great, but I like it. That includes the portrayal of the Xenomorphs. As far as most people or organizations knew, the Xenomorphs were all but wiped out when Ripley killed herself 200 years prior to the events of the movie. So the only logical thing for scientists in this situation to do was to obtain genetics and samples of Ripley from the abandoned prison planet and clone her so that they could obtain the Xenomorph queen that was gestating in her when she died. It all only makes sense. The process of cloning Ripley and the specimen, once again, makes a lot of sense, gave way to a very interesting strain of Xenomorph. Both Ripley and the creatures shared some of the other species' traits. Ripley had acid blood, was tapped into the hive mind, she had super strength, and other heightened senses. The Xenomorphs were gifted with, uh, really just heightened smarts. They learned even quicker than they used to, uh, evidenced by the trap that they set for that one scientist that wanted to fuck them. Resurrection was the first movie in the franchise to feature CGI rendered xenomorphs. Literally fuck. Kind of. That's the subtext. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, the effects were alright, especially for a 1997 release, but still too glossy and stiff at times. The effects still pretty much hold up, but they do suffer from the, a couple fundamental problems, so it's meh. I think they look good, and there are a couple of scenes and shots where they look horrible, but it's overall good. It's good. The design... Well, the design this time went even further with the brown, earthy color. The production might have gone overboard with the slime. The whole body is glistening with it, and the heads and mouths are constantly dripping wet. It was really cool to see them swimming and killing people underwater. It contributes to my irrational fear of swimming pools alone and at night. Overall, the design was toned down and very... French. Uh, the real splash was in the new addition to the life cycle. The hype began as a traditional one with the queen laying eggs leading to chest birders, birders leading to chest bursters leading to xenomorphs. Then the queen developed a slightly human rebound. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> then the queen developed a slightly human reproductive process, its gift from Ripley in the cloning process. A womb or sac grew and protruded from where the egg sac is normally protruding, or grown such attached. In it was a xeno-human hybrid dubbed the newborn. The newborn was one ugly motherfucker. It was also bipedal, its body rep reminiscent, its body reminiscent of a chestburster's in color and density. Its face or head was more human in proportion, but it had sharpened teeth, a stout nose, and dark eyes set deep into the skull. It was designed with genitalia, both male and female, but was removed via CG before the release. 
It rejected the queen as its mother, killing her, and looked to Ripley as a mother. It seemed capable of love and some sort of empathy. It seemed to show these emotions towards its chosen mother. It was a bad choice design-wise. A good idea to switch things up and enter the franchise, but it was just a miss. It was ugly and weird and not in a good way. I would say that this film treated the Xenos similar to how Jurassic Park 3 would treat Velociraptors. Neither are highly regarded films, and there are qualms with the aforementioned creatures in each, but they advanced them and brought something fresh to the table. The film deals with corporate and governmental greed and control as most of the other films delve into. It's really tough for me to say what I think the meaning of the Xenomorphs are this time around. They are back due to human meddling and creation, so they are born from within sin. A Joel Montgomery on Quora wrote that series that the series as a whole, and even more specifically Alien Resurrection, is about survival and maintaining your humanity through these situations. Interesting. I lost my place weight now. Ripley does have reasons and opportunities to side with both the humans or the xenomorphs or create her own path, but she still chooses humanity. She is mostly monster at this point, and not even the original Ripley, but she still chooses humanity. So the xenomorphs kind of end up taking a backseat in the symbolism and theme department. And now on to the trashy spin-off crossover franchise, Alien vs. Predator and ADP Requiem. Oofta. I only watch these films every once in a while as a guilty pleasure. The first is sort of good and highly superior to the other, but still, both bad for many reasons, one of them being the design of the alien and the other being the behavior of the alien. The design is a microcosm of the problems with the film. It's just a watered-down version of the xenomorph. It's just, it's, there's not very much to it. It's just a big serpent. It is realized via CGI and people in suits again. The CGI didn't age quite as well as Resurrection, but the technology did advance, so it looks a little better. The suits are actually worse. They're rubbery and fake, and they do look like a guy just hopping around in there. Hippity-hopping around. They weren't very elegant, but they were, ra they were still presented as smart. It was also refreshing to see them as mostly superior to the Predators. I think the Predators are superior in terms of a fight between the two species, but this movie showed young, inexperienced Predators fighting and losing to the ultimate Predator. One of them does prove his merit and kills many. He even fights off a queen with a little bit of help. But the aliens, the Xenomorphs, don't feel as if they are more than a monster in this movie. The movie does sort of touch on hurdling obstacles of life and defeating your inner demons, so they work on that level a little bit. And uh, AVP Requiem. AVP Requiem can eat my ass. It's a shit sequel for so many reasons, and one of the worst is the shitty work with the Xenomorphs. They moved away from the Dome Skull, the first movie since Aliens, to do so. Not for the better, either. They have exaggerated teeth and claws, and the rubber suits suck even worse this time. The CGI isn't that bad. Most of the effects budget seemed to go there, and it showed. The Pred Alien was really cool. It's a great thing to bring to the silver screen, but it was in a horrible movie. It versus the Predator should have been a crazy final battle. It almost was, but the lighting ruined it because you cannot see shit in this movie. The suit looked pretty good there, though. So, once again, they seem like they were just, like, generic movie monsters here. They are also, like, still targets on a range for the Predator and even the humans at points in the film. The only scene that they get their due is when the National Guard is ambushed in the street. That's still underwhelming, though. Now onto the best movie of the series since Alien Resurrection, second best overall, Prometheus. Here's where it gets interesting. There is no actual xenomorph whatsoever in this movie. In the original drafts and planning for the film, they were supposed to be an ultramorph, which was basically just a larger xenomorph. 
There was some variation in the design. I believe the color may have been gray even. And they were supposed to be the result of a face hugger fucking an engineer's face. But no. The movie dealt with the team discovering the possible home of aliens who created humans. There are gods. <laughs> They end up being the same species that the crew of the Nostromo found dead on LV-426. They have connections to the Xenomorph. The form that I can technically say that the Xenomorph took in this movie was the Black Pathogen. We're still not exactly sure what it was. It seems to be the result of the DNA of some Xeno-like creature and some other experimentation by the engineers. The pathogen is presented as a liquid in Prometheus, but it does seem as if there are microscopic creatures that reside in or are the substance. The pathogen is sort of a DNA-altering substance. Different doses seem to break down different hosts at different rates. The effects also vary from species to species. The pathogen does combine with Fifield, a human, and a hammerpede. It was a worm mutated by the pathogen to become a large, strong worm with acid blood, and that may have left something in him before dipping when backup showed up. That turns Fifield into a sort of zombie. He dies due to the pathogen and acid and maybe the atmosphere asphyxiation. He later shows up and still retains his general human appearance, but his face and body is burned and mutated a bit. He exhibits super strength, speed. The closest thing we get to a xenomorph is what Ridley Scott coined the Deacon. Charlie is infected with a small dose of the pathogen in his drink. Thanks, David. He doesn't realize this and has sex with his significant other, Shaw, that night. She is sterile, so she shouldn't be able to have children, but the pathogen combined with his sperm allow it to happen. Shaw ends up having a C-section. Hmm. Shaw ends up having a C-section to get rid of what they call a trilobite. At its birth, it's basically just a squid. But it grows to be larger than a human and looks like a facehugger prototype with tentacles as opposed to legs. It plants its seed in an engineer and then the deacon bursts from that. <laughs> the deacon is pretty different from a xenomorph. It doesn't seem to have the hard exoskeleton kind of thing going on. And from what we can gather, it's basically just a mini version of itself when it's born. It was about four feet tall, although we've never seen an official adult version. It is organic looking. There aren't any of those biomechanical elements that Xenomorphs traditionally have. Its head is sort of cone-shaped or similar to uh, what a deacon's head dressing would be. You know, the deacon. It also has an inner set of jaws, but it, it is also like a goblin shark, where the second jaw is the same basic shape as the standard one, and it, it, it works on hinge action. What it stands for? Well, not much. The deacon itself does not stand for much. It is more of a... Uh, it's, it seems as if they wrote that in only to wink at the audiences and say that make sure they know it's an alien movie and have it be a, a preview of what might have come in a straight Prometheus sequel. I will say that the black pathogen and David's work with it and the engineers, the movie is called Prometheus, so it's supposed to be a retelling of, uh, of humans stealing the fire from the gods getting punished for it or prometheus stealing the fire from the gods and getting punished for it so there's a lot of biblical uh references and themes in this one alien covenant well we basically made it back to the original xenomorph sort of firstly the pathogen <sighs> firstly the pathogen rears its ugly head again it is shown later in the film in the ampules from prometheus as a liquid but earlier in the film we see a flashback of when david arrived to planet four 
He committed genocide, wiping out the engineers on the planet. He used the pathogen, but in a way we hadn't seen yet. He launched them from the ship, and they were suspended in the air together before detonating and creating a swarm of what looked like dust or tiny, tiny creatures that burst through and began to transform any life it got its hands on. It seems that the pathogen was still changing and transforming the creatures, the engineers, but it was doing so in such a quick rate that it caused death instantly. After the pathogen was released, it ended up settling in an environment in little spores. They were like blueberry-shaped. Blueberry. They would show up in clusters. If disturbed, the dust would emit and infiltrate any host. It worked into any orifice and then proceeded to create an embryo in that host, like a facehugger does. What burst from humans was dubbed a Neomorph. It made a cross between the Deacon and the Xenomorph. Its coloration like that of a chestburster, facehugger, or newborn. But once again, it didn't have that exoskeleton or armored kind of skin that the Xenos have. It had a slightly shorter tail, and where the Xenos normally have a, a protruding spike at the end, it didn't seem to have as much of one. No visible eyes as well. Its jaws were an evolution of the Deacon's goblin shark-like jaw, although it protruded further out and it seemed to be kind of like the Xeno's inner jaw as well. Not sure on its life cycle other than that. It seems to be more of a straight killing machine. Xenomorph is trying to create or allow the creation of more Xenomorphs, but I'm not sure that the Neomorph is. The next closest thing we get to a Xenomorph in the prequels is the Protomorph. The Protomorph is what fans and observers on set before the release of Covenant dubbed the Xenomorph in the film. I think the production was using that term as well, and the creature does feel a little bit different from what we saw in Alien. The design always changes between films, as I've said, but Ridley Scott chose to rework the original Alien design. I think it's a tiny bit smaller than the original, and its body features a bit more organic uh, components. It's really a nice cross between the Deacon, the Neomorph, and the Xenomorph, and it is much more aggressive and stupid. The technological limitations in 1979 didn't let Scott unleash the beast, but this movie shows what he thinks of it. I think we uh, hardcore fans of the franchise tend to romanticize it. I mean, it means a lot, and it is an elite hunter and killer, but Scott seems to just use it as a monster to kill people. We've seen in every movie so far before Covenant how clever it is, well, not including Prometheus, how clever it is, even a little bit in Alien 3 and Resurrection. But this movie has it just sprint around in broad daylight and rip anyone apart without stopping. It even tries attacking a crane coming towards it because he thinks it's another animal. Stupid. I think it was presented as much smarter than that in every film, even the AVP movies. Still, it seems like it means he meant it to be the Xenomorph, and he's saying that it was created and or perfected by David. Evidence seems to point that the engineers created or copied something like the Xenomorph, but David came along to Planet 4 and quote-unquote perfected it, the perfect organism. He tells Walter that he created the perfect organism, wink wink franchise, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but I love it. I love that David created the Xenomorph, and I like, I love David's character, I love Michael Fassbender's portrayal, I think that him creating the Xenomorph makes it so much more and better. Many people think that the mystery and alienness of it is soiled now. The mystery is soiled, but that's okay because what we have is the center of the universe, the answer to all of our most important questions. The movie mostly sweeps Prometheus under the carpet, but it doesn't answer. But it does. But it does answer Shaw's questions and kind of completes her. Her death at the hands of David and her body's role in creating the Xenomorph kind of kind of frames it as an answer to her questions. Is there a god? Where is it? Why did it abandon us? This movie makes the answer to the question like that, the Xenomorph. 
It is the black hole at the center of our universe and lives. Our very own creation, a synthetic person, has suffered from human abuse and the curse of being less than human without even a properly designed genitalia. He creates a dark, twisted, soulless hunter of all to wipe out humanity and bless the universe, and he thinks it is perfection. Well, that about wraps it up for today, you guys. Thank you for tuning in. I I'm going to say it again in the outro. I really appreciate any time you guys spend checking this or any of my alien videos out. Thank you so much. I love you. Until next time, please like and share the video on YouTube. If you can, subscribe to the channel and rate us on iTunes and or Facebook. Drop a comment on the video too. Let me know what you think about the design as it moves through the franchise or whatever you want to bring to the discussion. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at MacroOfficial for updates on upcoming videos coming to you guys. You guys! Uh, <laughs> once again, thank you for tuning in. I always appreciate people listening to these. Um, we have a Christmas special up right now. We got our top ten in there, Aquaman review. It's a little bit of movie news. I've got an episode of the Alien Legacy called Revealing the Mystery. That's on there. It's on the channel. It's right there. You can't miss it. So, yeah, check those out, and we will see you next time right here on Back Row Movie News. Waka waka.